With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production, and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family-owned. So thank you to the Iowa Pork Farmer. Thank you to the Iowa Pork Consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. Pour one more beer for me. Exile means quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Ruthie today. Enjoy your exile. HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. Brought to you by Exile Brewing Company. Heartland Flagpoles and Flags. As well as the Iowa Pork Producers. And, Steve, this week, I guess one of the bigger talkers as it relates to the Hawkeyes would be Tyler Cook's announcement that he would be, um, I mean, turning pro isn't the right term. He's not going to be signing an agent. He's going to test out the NBA's um, examination, exploratory, evaluation period. Similar, well, exactly as to what Peter Jock did a couple of years ago after his junior year, and he returned to Iowa for his senior year after the feedback led him to that decision. And I don't really see what Tyler Cook has to lose by doing this. He, you know, the rumors of him, you know, being interested in transferring to Missouri, those were false, or at least didn't turn out to be uh, that way. I think this is a smart move by him, even though I think he's going to find out that he's not ready for the NBA. But uh, no harm done as long as you don't get hurt, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't follow Hawkeye fan base Twitter all week. Is this controversial? Oh, there's some there's some idiot fanboys, probably most of them in their 40s and 50s, who, uh, you know, ticked off calling himself as just... just, just Basically, just a bunch of idiots that you know you deal with in your line of work on a regular basis. I don't think the uh, number of those people is significant. Unfortunately, like anything on social media, the bark uh, is always worse than the bite and gets the sure. most notice. Well, the reason I ask this is because it's not often atheist Bill Maher is my spirit animal, but right now I'm totally tracking with him. He went off on how you know twitter mobs fuel controversies that aren't real controversies that the average person in schenectady doesn't know anything about or care and so i'm wondering if this is one of those things like i I, 
I mean, I don't know, were people calling in to KXNO during the week, losing their poop over this? I mean, I, I don't know outside of the Twitterati. I don't know why, you know, anybody would oppose a young man, first of all, pursuing his dream. But, but secondly, you know, doing it in a way that there is no risk here for your favorite college team at all. It's not like, you know, well, gosh, I wasn't sure if we go out there and sign a kid this spring that, you know, we might get, not get in April or May because, you know, Tyler Cook's flirting with the NBA. And, you know, we can think of somebody that would be just as worthy of not more so of that scholarship than him. I mean, that's a ridiculous assessment, number one. Ridiculous assessment number two is um, if he goes if, if he goes to Portsmouth and, and Chicago um, and, and those camps go well for him and that raises his stock to the point that, you know, a team indicates to him, hey, we'll take you at the bottom of the first round, which gives you a guaranteed three year deal. Then that's great exposure for your program. If not, then, you know, the guy you're trying to one of the guys you're trying to build your program around went out for about a month and played consistently top notch competition uh, got you know professional level athletic training, which I I have to believe doesn't hinder your ability to come back to college and perform better the next year. I go to my own favorite team. Mo Wagner did this last year, and and look at the player when he went there, and they said, hey, you've got to do A, B, or C. Look at the player he is now compared to even a year ago where he had that great game against Louisville in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, John, I went back and watched our entire run in the Big Ten tournament last year before this year's Big Ten tournament. Stuff you forget about. Like, Mo Wagner was getting taken off the floor in the last five minutes of games because he was a turnover waiting to happen, and he played no defense. Okay, I mean, now now he's considered one of the toughest matchups in college basketball. So, I don't I don't know why if you're an Iowa fan you would be moan Tyler Cook doing this because it's either it's either a someone wants him and it's great exposure for your program or B uh, the highest level of basketball on this planet will put him under a microscope and tell that young man when you go back to Iowa these are the two or three things you need to get better at and the number one beneficiaries of him taking advantage of that advice are going to be um, you know fans of the Iowa basketball program so you know, in between beating me, every now and then my stepdad would, would teach me some things, some life lessons that have stuck with me even into my 45th year. And one of the things he used to say to, say to me is you could screw you – would, you would complain if you were hung with a new rope and you could blank up a wet dream. I'm reminded of both of those, those, those sentiments in, in this line of, of complaint. I have no idea why anybody would complain about that. Yeah, people still find a way to do it, and I, and I agree with you. I, I are you and I both of the opinion that Tyler is likely going to be told that uh, he should return to college. I agree for two reasons: one, I don't know who he defends at the next level, and two, he needs to develop a mid-range game, not a mid-range game for college basketball, for the NBA. A mid-range game in today's NBA is pretty much today's college three-point line. Okay, so he's got to he's got to show he can consistently hit 18 to 20 footers so he can force he will force defenses to come out against him where then he can attack the basket with his quickness, because if he can't do that, everybody in the NBA has Tyler Cook's kind of quickness. So absolutely, I think the chances 
if he doesn't come back, then either we have more questions to ask about what went wrong this season when you had that kind of talent and and still flirted with the worst conference record Iowa's ever had, or B, this is a young man that just doesn't want to be a student anymore and has no choice but to go pro. And if he gets doesn't get drafted in the second round, then he'll go try and play in Europe somewhere or the G League and and work his way up, you know, as you like to say, the dirt road, and he just doesn't want to be a student anymore. Either way, there's nothing you can do about that if you're an Iowa fan. Right. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head with what he needs to work on. He needs to become a much better defender. He is not good uh, as a defender at this point in time. And, yeah, get a little more refinement in that mid-range game. The The, the change from Tyler Cook freshman to Tyler Cook, sophomore, in my opinion, was palpable. Last year, he oh, this guy is a pretty exciting athlete. Wow, he, you know he's got some game to him. This year, the dude basically, if he just had one person between him and the rim, he was going to dunk. And his explosiveness and how he attacked this year, I mean, it was exponentially better than where he was a year ago. Now, I'm not saying he can take that type of leap. Uh, offensive explosion leap from year two to year three. But as you mentioned, go to these camps, get specific points that you need to work on because this is a guy that has NBA athleticism, but he won't get to that league unless he refines and, you know, perfects his craft on the minutia. And I you know, don't want to say that defense is minutia, but just get better in those areas and they'll tell him how to do those sorts of things. So I think that he... If he comes back a more disciplined player on both ends, works on his mid-range jump shot, that's only good news for Iowa. And like you say, if he still decides to go pro, even though he doesn't get the kind of grade that you know would say you're a, you know a guaranteed first-round pick, then there are other questions, and we can cross that bridge when we get there. So I still think he's coming back. Probably find that out around June 10th. Somewhere in there was is the deadline, so a few months. And I would advise you, Iowa fans listening to this, and you're certainly free to do what you want to do and worry about what you want to worry about, but I would advise you not to worry about it and think about it all that much. Um, one player coming in for uh, Iowa next year, Joe Wieskamp, ended his Iowa prep career. L- listen to some of these numbers. All-time... 2,376 points. He averaged 26.1 points per game for his entire high school career. That's sixth all-time in Iowa high school history. It's number one all-time at the 4A level. Rebounds. He averaged 10 rebounds a game for his entire career. 46 double-doubles. Tallied double figures in 88 of 91 career games, including his last 62 in a row. He was in double figures. Shot 53% from the floor for his career, 80% from the line for his career, 37% from three, and his team's record 53 and 39. He didn't have a lot of talent around him during his career at Muscatine, and I don't know that anybody's predicting him to come in, and he's not the Cavalry next year. But those are some pretty awesome numbers when you're considering a four-year career at the high school level. No doubt, and of course, you know, one of the knocks will be, well, this is, you know, not one of the most talent uh, ridden states when it comes to high school basketball talent every single year. But when you're when you're when you are facing a certain level of competition, 
that means you should be dominating them physically if you're that gifted. And the kinds of numbers you're putting out there are indicative of that level of domination. Plus, the chances of an Iowa kid, you know, um, and this has been true going back to, you know, when we had Rafe LaFriends, Nick Collison, uh, Kirk Heinrich, et cetera. You know, that was really the beginning of the modern AAU era Mm -hmm. that we have now. And so even if you are playing in a state that doesn't produce 15 to 20 high major prospects every single year on the basketball level, the amount of opportunity scouts and recruiting services now get to see these kids for several years up against one another at camps, all-star events, AEU, et cetera, you know, the evaluations of the elite level kids are as good as they have ever been. And he has the rating of that kind of a kid. I still want to know, though, and you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. This is nothing against him. I'm trying to figure out, though, why. And, and I don't I've not watched enough of his game. So it is possible he can be that that third score I talked about last week when that forces defenses to play more honest. Because a lot of what we saw this year, teams just sort of said to Tyler Cook, we can't defend you. Do your thing. We're just going to get it. We're going to we're going to, you know, extend on Bohannon uh, to limit his ability to get open shots outside. And there's nobody for Bohannon to re- to double reverse it to. And if, you know, uh, you want to beat us with, you know, Luca Garza shooting 20 footers or 18 or 15 footers and Tyler Cook attacking the rim, we're going to get so many open looks at the end of the floor. We'll put up with that. OK, that was sort of what teams did to Iowa all year. Now, maybe he adds an, a, a missing slashing offensive element that forces teams to play a little bit more honestly, which which helps Iowa on the someone on the defensive end of the floor. But again, we're talking about a team who's top 25 nationally in offensive efficiency. You're only going to get so much better. And so I, I think it really comes down to how much better he makes Iowa what kind of a game he has, because this really is about impacting the other end of the floor. Um, yeah, top 25 in offensive efficiency, you're right. I just save this for future notes. I mean, I may never look at it again. I was over at Ken Palm right now. Iowa finished 20th in the country in, mm. offensive, in offensive efficiency. 20th in the nation. That's incredible, and in adjusted offense, and you look at the there. There are only well, gosh, twenty. St. Mary's and Marquette ranked higher than Iowa. Marquette uh, in offensive efficiency, who didn't make the tournament. They St. Mary's is twenty-eight and five. Marquette was nineteen and thirteen. Of the top twenty teams in offensive efficiency, the lowest win total other than Iowa's fourteen was Marquette's. 19 most every, mm. everybody else was in the 20s and high 20s then you know i and then below going down even lower i mean i've got to get down to vanderbilt who ranked 34th in offensive efficiency they were 12 and 20 so iowa's record considering their offensive efficiency ranking 
didn't add up. That just meant they sucked on defense, which we know that. All right. Um, last thing real quick before we flip over to football, and, and we're going to talk a lot about the NCAA tournament, our thoughts on that in the Bigger Ten podcast. Both of these episodes will drop on Monday because tis the season. Um, this tweet that Mark Emmert sent out, uh, and, and I'd like to stop talking about Iowa basketball at some point in time maybe for this year uh, and get a little breather. Iowa went 0-9 versus teams in the NCAA tournament field. Didn't get a win, which is pretty amazing. And, inter- mm. and interesting enough, and you know, I'm not just trying to bring Iowa State. I mean, Iowa was ranked 90th in Ken Palm. That was the best of the four in-state teams, which is, a, I don't know that that's ever happened. That the best ranking would be ninety, pretty pretty pathetic. The worst team that Iowa State played in its last twenty games. This is Brian Lazier on Twitter. Last twenty games is a two seed in the wow. in the NIT. That's the wow. worst team they played in their last twenty. Sixteen of their last twenty games came against NCAA competition. Holy smokes! I think that also puts the Iowa offensive efficiency numbers in in more context you mentioned marquette you know marquette was in the big east which had two number one seeds and six teams made the tournament right you mentioned vanderbilt the sec i think had more teams in the top 100 of the rpi 12 than any other conference this year okay so they were playing a lot more difficult competition night in and night out i mean one of the things we'll get to in the bigger 10 podcast Nebraska was one of the four teams to get a double bye in the Big Ten tournament. They're a fifth seed in the NIT, bro. Mm, nah, okay? Not even close to the bubble. Not even close to the I mean, they're not on the spittle. Okay, They're not that thing you blow into to form a bubble. Okay, So the, the idea that you're playing that level of competition night in and night out. I mean, hell, how much defense do you have to play against Northwestern tonight? Right. How much defense you got to play against Illinois and Indiana? You're top 20 in offensive efficiency. You want to be beating those teams 85-82 every night, or at least most nights. I, I, that, I mean, they were not playing the caliber of teams this year anyway. I mean, you can go back to the year, I think I was one of only two or three teams ever to finish in the top 40 of Ken Palm and not get a at-large bid that wasn't on probation, right? All right. But, you know, this Iowa team was not playing that level of competition in the Big Ten. I think the top of the league is really good. I think all the metrics bear that out. But the middle and bottom of this league, and the, I mean, the teams Iowa had to rise above, when you are scoring as many points as you are a night and you can't consistently beat those teams – I'd be worried about that if I were an Iowa basketball fan. Yeah, six six Big Ten teams finished below 500 overall this year. Yeah, and Indiana was one game over 500. That's bad. That's real bad. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you're putting up those kinds of offensive numbers. You still can't beat those teams. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa pork industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. 
Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family owned. So thank you to the Iowa pork farmer. Thank you to the Iowa pork consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. What's up with that, man? Not a lot. Um, Football, NFL draft, combine coming to an end. Uh, Let's focus on the Iowa players because we've got a lot of ground to cover in the uh, NCAA Bigger Ten. Josh Jackson. Originally thought to have run a 4.49 second 40. Looks like it turned out to be something more like a 4.56. Still, when you look at his other agility drills and his performance, he is likely to be a first-round pick. Every mock I've seen has him in the first round. you agree with that? I do. Um, and, you know, the, I'm a believer, and you know how closely I follow this and have my entire life. I'm a believer most draft boards are set right now. And that uh, the event that will impact draft boards in March will not be these individual pro days. You know, scouts go to individual pro days because they are, one, they're looking at the next tier of prospects. But, but for the top tier guys, and, you know, Josh Jackson be one of those guys, for the top tier guys, you're looking for one more chance to talk to them, what have you see if a guy mails it in. You're just looking for objections at that point. Mm -hmm. Your evaluation is done. The tape is done. The underwear Olympics is done. The event in March that will will be the final thing impacting draft boards starts Monday. That's free agency, right? And so, you know, for – and free agency matters to a prospect like James Daniels and much more so like Josh Jackson than it does Josie Jewell because – You know, if a team goes out there and signs Anthony Hitchens, another former Hawkeye, who's one of the prized free agent linebackers from the Cowboys this year, if a team goes out there and signs Anthony Hitchens, it doesn't really impact whether you're drafting Josie Jewell in the fifth or sixth round or not. But if a team goes out there and signs like the 49ers did Richard Sherman, it matters whether you're drafting Josh Jackson in the first round or not, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Okay? So free agency will impact draft boards. Don't you know there'll be all kinds of hype about you know pro days and things of that nature? Not really. That 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 doesn't move draft boards nearly as much as all the work that's already been done. And now, uh, you're you're if if you if a pro day does have an impact, it's because you're trying to figure out do I want to draft Denzel Ward or Josh Jackson or this kid at Central Florida as my first guy? But it's not you know if if Josh Jackson goes out there and you know. Uh, trips on his phallus at his pro day. He's not falling to the third round. That's not the way it works. Free agency could impact him, though. And I think for Josh Jackson, that's a guy Dude. that is, is scheme. He is scheme specific in that you have to, you know, he's gonna he's gonna fit better in a team that um, uh, doesn't that, that wants to play a more physical style, zone coverage, allow him to use his ball skills. More than that, you know, the the bump and run, speed, in and out of break, in a, in the jockey short kind of man-to-man defense. He's more of a Richard Sherman kind of a corner. If, and he'll fit with a team that plays that kind of a scheme. If dude trips on his phallus, as you said, he is not falling. Well, he'll go in the first round of some draft. May not be the NFL draft, but he'd go first <laughs> round of some draft. <laughs> 
reminds me of my all-time Hayden Fry story that I'll save for another time. Okay, very good. The Ronnie Harvin story, I've ever told you that one before? Uh, let's, let's say that. Yeah, All right, but it's that. a long summer, okay? Yeah. And, and yeah. really, just one um, phallus joke per podcast is, uh, is good. I was trying to come up with something to indicate, you know, a loss of motor function or something. And- That'd cause it. That'd cause it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, you know, that reminds me of Iowa State had this one kid i can't remember his name he was a great student he was like seven three but he never played this, the end can, of this can't be going somewhere good and, and i walked and, and i went up to him at media day one year at iowa state and i said he wore size 18s shoe, shoes uh-huh. and i i walked up to him this was my lead question at media day i said to him i go hey you know what they say about guys who have big feet he looked at me point blank and he said they wear big shoes I said, bingo. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Interior offensive line. uh, I was looking at uh, some of your your grades from watching everything. James Daniels, I remember when he elected to uh, forego his final year of eligibility. That was something that uh, raised some eyebrows with you and other folks as well. By, Mm -hmm. By all accounts... He's done nothing but impress people in interviews. And, boy, this guy, I've seen some draft boards where he's making his way into the first round as well. Well, I think this may be interior offensive line. It might be the deepest position in the draft. I think I have uh, four or five interior offensive linemen among my top overall 32 prospects in the draft, and he's one of them. And you're right, I did have reservations. One, we don't typically see Iowa players go early interference. That's number one. Number two, he's coming off an injury. Okay, so, you know, that's not a good trend line. One of the things you can see, I mean, I'm not a scout. So when I watch these drills, and I watch I watch them all, I'm, I'm a junkie. That's, that watch, right there is a level of, I'll never get there. I'm there. I'm totally there. Yeah. It's also a great escape from my day job. I want you to know that. I'm totally there. Okay. But when I watch these drills, I'm not a scout. And and when you're watching via, uh, you know, a secondhand feed, like a television transmission, unless you get like a, an over-the-top or an all-22 angle, we just don't know enough to know to differentiate 90% of these guys because they're pretty much the same, right? But – we do know enough that when one guy is moving with a certain level of, of smooth smoothness, suave, explosion, explosion, we can't tell what, who, you know, you, you and I aren't good enough at this. We're not pro scouts. We can't tell, well, I put that guy 12th and this guy 18th. We don't know. Okay. But when the really good guys show up, you and I are like, okay, he's, he's one of the best guys. That's what it looked like when James Daniels ran these, did these agility drills. He just, frankly, was at a different level of athleticism than the vast majority of guys in his position group. And that is, if it's obvious to me, Ham and Egger watching at home, wannabe Mel Kuyper Jr., um, if it's obvious, who will settle for Mike Mayock, if it's obvious to me, then. I think it, it it's indicative of 
just his level of athleticism. I don't think he's like I think Quinton Nelson at Notre Dame is one of the top five players in the draft, regardless of position. It's just not typical for a guard to get picked this high. I'm not saying he it wouldn't quite put him there. To me, Quinton Nelson's like the Saquon Barkley of interior linemen. Mm-hmm. But that next group, you know, if we were using running back analogies, staying with that, you know, your Darius Geises, your Sony Michels, he's in that next group of guys who you're like, all right, those guys are clearly better than these other 90% of guys. So I also think it comes down to I, I could see because this is a position that is so deep in this draft that one of two things tends to happen when you have a position this deep, particularly one that isn't traditionally valued very highly in a draft like offensive tackle corner or quarterback. One of two things happens. A, one or two teams picks one, and then everybody's like, oh, snap, we had to get one of those guys, and that, and then there's a run on them. Or people are like, ah, oh, we can get that guy, one of those guys in the next round, draft something else, and, they get, and as a group they get pushed down the board, and we just won't really know until draft night, uh, you know, April 28th, which is about 45-so days from now. We won't really know which it is, but at the very least, I, I think he's going to get a phone call by the time we finish the second round on Friday night, at the very least. Last thing, Josie Jewell, he hurt himself? Yeah, I mean, guys, and there were several of these guys with twitches, with hamstrings and things of that nature. I didn't hear it was serious with him, though. Did you hear it differently? No, I just ran a slow time. So. Yeah, and I mean, there's different things you're looking for at different positions. You know, and um, then there's the tape doesn't lie. I don't think anybody's shocked he doesn't have Chad Greenway's level of athleticism. You know, and um, I think you recognize that if if you watched him play at Iowa. What you also saw at when, when you watched him play at Iowa, though, is a guy with elite level instinctiveness. And, you know, he kind of reminds me of a of – a couple Detroit Lions line, middle linebackers I watched growing up. He's not as athletically gifted as Chris Spielman, but those kinds of instincts. But the guy that we drafted that replaced Spielman, that played very well for the Lions for several years, Stephen Boyd out of Boston College. And I think Josie Jewell reminds me a lot of him. Josie Jewell's one of those guys that, that he's going to get picked by somebody, and if he can stay healthy, he will manage because of his instincts and uh, his character – um, and his durability, he'll play 10 years in the NFL. It's just a matter of how many of those years will, will they be spent as a role player, as a sub-package guy on running downs, as a special teams guy. That we don't know. Okay, we do not. And we'll find out more as the weeks unfold and we get closer to the NFL draft. That'll do it for this installment of the HM Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.